Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you very much. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. It is my great honor to be able to speak tonight on World Evangelism Night and give a challenge for the nations. Exodus chapter 3. When we were living in uh, South Africa in 2003, a very famous man in South Africa passed away by the name of Walter Sisulu. Walter Sisulu was uh, head of the ANC for uh, many years, African National uh, Congress had spent his lifetime fighting apartheid. He was jailed 11 times, ultimately was sentenced to life in prison, and spent 26 years in prison alongside Nelson Mandela and others. 2003, when we were living there, he passed away. His funeral was attended by 20,000 people. Two heads of state were in attendance at his funeral. The president of the nation, the former president of the nation, spoke at his funeral, and two archbishops performed the services there. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said about Walter Sisulu, he said, his was a life well lived. A life well lived. Here's a man who was born into poverty, But he was instrumental in changing the course of a nation. And this is why at his death he was so celebrated. In the scripture that we are going to read tonight, Moses is told by God that he is to help deliver an entire nation. This is our call, every person that is gathered here tonight. That call rings through the ages to you and I tonight that we are to help deliver nations. And I want to preach from Exodus chapter 3 about delivering the nations. If you're going to read with me, starting at verse 7, we're going to read a few pieces out of this story. Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and large, flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. I've seen the oppression 
with the, the, wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you unto Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Skip to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor listen to my voice, for they'll say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said unto him, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. He said, Cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. The Lord said to Moses, Put forth your hand. Take it by the tail. He put forth his hand. Caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared unto you, delivering the nations. I want to begin by looking at the need for a moment. In our story, Moses is a man who is concerned with the normal affairs of life. And he has an encounter with the living God at a burning bush. And God reveals something in this scripture, and that is that God hears things that we don't hear. And that he sees things that we don't see. Exodus 3, 7 says, For I have seen the affliction of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. Here is God. He says, I can hear the cry of people in another nation. Moses is here. He has his own concerns. But what God hears is not just here. He hears something in another nation. This is the heartbeat of our God. John 10, 16 says, For I have other sheep that are not of this flock, and I must bring them also. Here is the Lord Jesus having tremendous favor in this area. But he says, But I can hear people in other places that are not here. Acts 16, 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. In every nation of the world, there are people that are crying, come and help us. The world that we live in currently has just under 6.8 billion people living in 237 different nations. They speak 6,528 different languages. Of those people... More than 1 billion are Muslim. 720 million are Hindu. 618 million are Buddhist. 17 million are Sikhs. And 144 million follow traditional religions. It's estimated that out of the world's population, 3.9 billion, just under 4 billion people on the earth are not saved. And right now are on their way to hell. It said that almost 3,000 languages, they do not even have the Bible translated in their own language, cannot read the Word of God. It's estimated that 1.6 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus even one time. Most disturbing, they say that perhaps as many as 14 million people died last year and they never heard the gospel even one time. So God says, Moses... I can hear something different than you hear. You are focused right here. Your own needs, your own family. That's what you hear. I hear the nations. 
in another nation. And the Bible says that we are obligated to respond to their cry to do something about that. Romans 1, 14 says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. The NIV says, I am obligated. The New Living Translation says, I have a great sense of obligation. And the NCV says, I have a duty to all people. And so we're gathered here tonight. We focus on World Evangelism Night because if it is important to our God, it demands that it become important to us. That we begin to hear, we align our ears with what He hears. And the need, as Brother Ruby so tremendously ministered last night, the need takes precedence over human plans. Moses has plans. He has a job. He has a business. He has a family, no doubt, a a home where he lives. But God says, but I can hear something, and what I hear is going to take priority over your plans. God has the right to step in to our lives and interrupt us and ask us to respond to the cry of the nations. See, it is not acceptable to God if we ignore the cries of human need. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. Here is the priest and the Levite who to the Jews should be the heroes of the story. But instead, Jesus tells about these men They're consumed with their own spiritual interests, their own plans. And they walk by a man who's bleeding and dying, and they will not get involved. And Jesus paints them as the villains of the story. He says, that is not acceptable to know that there are multiplied hundreds of millions who don't have what we have. And if we do nothing, he says, that is not acceptable. Tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This man walked by the need of suffering humanity day after day. And nothing moved him on the inside. He was oblivious to other needs. And someone else's suffering could walk right on by. And the sting in the story it says, and in hell. This man lifted up his eyes. Jesus is making a radical statement here. He says it is not acceptable that you and I could know that there is a cry of the nations and the people in other places and not respond to that. 1895, a 10-year-old boy named Andrew Plump, he was playing in a park in New York. He leaned over the railing to grab a stick. He fell into a fountain. This boy could not swim, began to cry for help, began to flounder and go under. There was a policeman by the name of Slattery who stood at the rail, stone still, and watched as this boy was drowning. People began to call out, you've got to do something about this. And he sat there and did nothing. Two men even ran up to the rail and started climbing over. And he shouted, sit down. Move away from the rail and mind your own business. And he watched as this boy died, and only then he went and got a rake, and he fished his body out. The people were outraged. This this was in the New York Times. They were outraged. How could you sit and watch and do nothing? 
This is why God interrupts Moses. Because that is what he says. How can you be involved in your life and not do something about the cry in another nation? Because this is what has to happen. The need has to become a vision. It has to be something that we begin to catch and align our hearts with God. John 4, 35 says, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I wondered tonight if there is anyone in this great conference body who can hear the cry of Bangladesh's 140 million people who are saying, Come over here and help us. I wonder if there's anyone here who can hear the cry of Myanmar's 48 million people. And we have no fellowship church. Of Haiti's 8 million people. Of the Cape Verde Islands, half a million people. Would there be anybody here tonight that could hear the cry of places that we do not have a fellowship church that could be interrupted here this week and God could say, can you hear what I hear? Because this is the heart of our God. This is the need. I want to look secondly at the answer. Because God's answer for the cry of the nations is always a man. There must be a personal presence for deliverance to be activated. Verse 10 of our scripture says, So now go, I am sending you. I had years ago a praise and worship album. One of the songs there interested me because very talented musicians. It was one of those, you know, the praise and worship where everything goes quiet and they're having one of those... Yes, Jesus moments. And the song leader, as the music was playing beautifully in the background, he had the microphone and he began to say, Lord, we send your glory to Argentina. And the people began to say, yes. Lord, we send your glory to Africa. And they're saying, yes. Lord, and now the music begins to swell. It's beginning to get exciting. And they're, now they're in a frenzy. Lord, we send your glory. And they're naming nations. And the pe- Isn't this true? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it worked like that? You sit on a padded pew in air-conditioned comfort. And we just sit there and send the glory around the world. And then say, what are we going to eat tonight? We did our part. I don't know if you remember in the Gulf War, this was... Uh, Uh, the uh, fantastic display of uh, aerial bombardment of cruise missiles. And this was night after night and people were in awe that that we could send from uh, uh, ships or submarines that that we could bomb and the planes would come in with pinpoint precision. But uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf, he brought a note of reality. He said, ultimately, somebody is going to have to go in. This is nice. But troops are going to have to go in. I want to say to you, if we are going to win the world, it will not be you and I sending the glory from our comfort uh, places of comfort. Somebody will have to go in. This is the heart of God. God's plan is always men and women who will go. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four says, Every place you set your 
foot will be yours. Jesus, the Bible says, he called and named them apostles, which is sent ones, personal representatives of Jesus Christ. This is God's plan. That he have personal representatives in every city. Personal representatives in every area, in every nation. Romans 10, 13 and 14 says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Think about what an incredible privilege that Moses has tonight. Moses, you can deliver a nation. You can alter the course of an entire nation. What is it that you could do that would match that? I, I got some important stuff to do. You could deliver a nation. What is it you could buy? That could match delivering a nation. And this is the privilege that God could give. You know, in South Africa, Nelson Mandela, before he was arrested and went to prison, he was a lawyer. He could have just functioned within the system and had a nicer house and a nicer car. But he and men like Walter Sisulu and others, they made a decision, say, we have to alter the course of a nation. That is what we're doing here tonight, is making decisions about nations. But I want you to know that God's plan, it hinges on response. The word response means to turn towards or to act upon. God may interrupt. God may reveal the cry of the nations, but he waits for us to respond. Isaiah 6 verse 8 says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. See, God's purposes are released by response. And I want you to notice if you read chapter 3 and chapter 4, there is a progression of the will of God being revealed. The Bible says Moses is on the backside of the desert and he sees a burning bush. But God is not saying anything. The bush is simply burning. God is there, but his will is not revealed. And the Bible says that Moses looked at that and said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Here is his first response. Only when he turns aside, then God speaks and says, Moses, take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. And it is not until he takes his shoes off and responds further to what God does, then he tells him of the cry of another nation and his part in delivering a nation. Listen to me, this is the will of God. It is response that releases the will of God in your life. When God speaks to it, he says, Moses, you are standing on holy ground. You are having an encounter with God. Can I ask you tonight, 
Is conference still holy ground for you? Is it still the place that you come and your intention is to hear from heaven? That all agendas are laid on the table before God? That there is any possibility? Or has conference for you become a bother because you have other things? He says, take off your shoes. You are going to have an encounter with the living God. You are going to hear things. And you're not going to hear those things until you respond and and demonstrate that by taking your shoes off. See, what happens when God reveals the need and tries to give us the vision is sometimes people say no. Sometimes we delay and rationalize and excuse. And when we do that, It has deadly consequences for other people. Ezekiel 22, 30 and 31, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the lamb so that I would not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I poured out my indignation upon them, consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Think about our story God is meeting with Moses, and at that very moment, the whip is coming down on the backs of people in another nation. At that moment, people are being beaten to death. And God is speaking to him. And you know what? He has, the people in Egypt have no idea that their very life hangs in the balance of someone they don't even know. He's in another nation. He's arguing with God. Lord, I I just really don't feel, because that's what it boils down to is our feelings, doesn't it? I just really don't feel qualified. I don't feel. What about how they feel, Moses? And hear what he is deciding. These people don't even know. They're being beaten. They're being whipped while he's arguing with God. God is waiting for response. This is what conference is all about. Is that we could hear from God. And it will be determined whether or not we will respond. And the course of nations. The fate people's lives and precious human souls hang in the balance by what we're deciding in this conference tonight. I want to look at one more thought. Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this Sermon Podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks, and we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application. Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church Uh, we could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews Uh, these do help us to get the word out about this podcast i want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast 
from the United States to the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine. The list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and back to the rest of the sermon. I want to talk about the investment. Because God asks Moses a question, and he says, Moses, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? It's a rod, a staff, it's a stick. That's what's in my hand. And you see, to Moses, this rod or the staff, this was his resource in life. With this staff, he could support himself. With this staff, he used it on his job in certain functions. He could make money with this staff. He could use this to a certain degree for security and protection against predators. And God says, Moses, I want you to make an investment. I can do the delivering, but you are going to make an investment. Listen to me. As long as what we have is held on to, there will always be a supernatural dimension missing. If you hold on to what you have, it is what it is and nothing more. It is a dead stick. But God is challenging here. He requires a personal investment if the nations are going to be delivered. Verse 3, the Lord said, Moses, throw it on the ground. This is the call of God. There are things that we are holding on to. And he says, I want you to lay it down. I want you to throw that down before God. Lay it down for God's purposes. You see, a personal investment is always necessary to enable the nations to be delivered. Romans 10, 15 says, How shall they preach except they be sent? We heard a report this week from Aaron Went. It was one year ago that They stood on this platform. We raised money and sent them. What we do, it requires a massive investment. From the time that they were announced, went back home, began to get visas, shipped their goods, bought air tickets, uh, a certain amount of equipment on this side, moved to India, got a house, and there you have to pay a year in advance. A building began to prepare it before they had ever had even one service we had already put sixty three thousand dollars just to get them to that point then you add on the another eight thousand dollars to get to uh, the Hansons to uh, to where uh, they were to take their church in Spokane and this was actually a uh, a bargain 
uh, uh, plant because uh, Brother Mark Olson generously donated the vehicle of a returning missionary, which we typically spend from fifteen to twenty-two thousand dollars. So here you're talking just to get them to the point where they can open. Sometimes it costs us more than ninety thousand dollars. God says, if you hear the cry, that's good, but you've got to throw something down. You're going to have to make an investment here. But you see, when we make an investment, it radically changes the lives of people in another nation. In the nation of Sudan, there's been ethnic fighting for years and years. Government soldiers will allow Arab slave traders to come and kidnap northerners, people living in the north of Sudan, to sell them as slaves. Slavery is still at work today. There's a group called Christian Solidarity International. Their vision is they raise money to buy slaves and set them free. They send a man to the nation of Sudan. He literally travels with a backpack full of money, travels, meets with the Uh, uh, these uh, people who've kidnapped them and will buy, you can buy a human life for $33. That's the average. And he pays. And since 1995, they have set free 70,000 slaves and sent them home back to their families. This group began to be criticized because they said, you know, you're actually fueling the slave trade and plus there's corruption, the people you're working with. The article that I read, it said this man, the representative, the man who actually pays the money, his name is John Eibner, he's an American. He was defending the involvement of this group. And in answer to their questions, he brought over a woman, a Sudanese woman. Her name was Akrut Angra. He told her story, said that she had been kidnapped. After they kidnapped her, she had been raped and beaten and stabbed repeatedly. This went on for months and months. John Eibner came across her and a group of other slaves and bought her for $33. Her two young sons had also been kidnapped. She had no idea where they were. And finally he got word that of where they were. And this day when the reporters were there, he went and found her two sons and paid another $33 each. 66 more dollars, and the family is reunited. Here this woman is weeping. She's covered in scars, but her children are reunited. This man, John Eibner, he said, is there corruption? He said, absolutely. Is there problems? Yes. But he said, $99 changed their life. I look out over this great conference, and I think of conference offerings in the past. I think of the massive investment in the nations. And there are some here that I can say, money has changed your life because someone threw down what they had as an investment. Now listen to me here, because there's a very powerful lesson for us. And that is that miracle power is triggered by investment. If God is going to do a miracle in your life, If God is going to do a miracle in our churches, He demands investment first. The widow who is in debt, Elisha asks her, what is in your house? 
all I have is a little oil. Then bring that out and pour it out. And God does a miracle. The widow of Zarephath. All I have is enough for one more meal. Then make me a cake first. The multitudes. Here are the 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus says, you feed them. <laughs> Lord, that would take a miracle. And what do you have to do that? There's a boy here who has a lunch. And he gives it. And as they distribute it, God begins to do a miracle because God always demands an investment first. Now, I doubt that there are very many people here tonight that while I'm preaching, you're saying, absolutely not. Let them all burn in hell. I ain't giving a thing. I don't think that there are many of those here tonight. But you know what? There are many, many people here tonight that you say, I agree with every word you say. And I will invest. I know I need to, and that is my intention, after God does a miracle for me. But you see, with my job, with my church in this economy, with the situation I'm going through, that's not... But if God would do a miracle for me, Pastor, you should see what I'm going to do after God does the miracle. Listen to me here. The order in God's economy is release first, miracle second. It never happens the other way around. Release. What is in your hand? Throw it down, Moses. Release first. Miracle comes second. Now, we all know what was going to happen when he threw it down because we saw the movie. Right? Moses, throw it down. It's going to turn into a snake. It's going to be really cool. But he hadn't seen the movie. This is his resource. This is his protection. And God is asking something that is going to scare him really bad. Not knowing how the miracle is going to turn out. This is a test of faith. But you see, investment triggers a supernatural dimension. Think about how outrageous this story. Moses, here's the plan. It's you and your brother... You're going to go against the political system of an entire nation, the military might, all of their armies, all of the witchcraft and the supernatural power, but it's okay, Moses, you got a stick. <laughs> Think about how outrageous that is. Moses is walking toward the ar- with a stick. Look at two things that happen when we release. Number one, what is at stake is dominion. Listen, we need to raise a huge amount of money tonight. That is true, but do not miss this. The point that God is making is not just paying the bill. It is going to be the issue of dominion. Because what is the very first thing he's going to do with this stick that he releases before God? He's going to go before Pharaoh. He's going to throw it down. It turns into a snake. Pharaoh is unimpressed. 
He's going to call his magicians. They, with their witchcraft, bring and also turn their sticks into snakes. But the Bible says that Moses' stick, his snake, swallowed theirs up. That is a powerful picture of what is at stake. When you release something to God, God releases dominion. That Moses could come, all of the gods of Egypt, he could judge with this stick. He could overcome every plot, every resistance, because there was power released. But only when he let it go. That which is held on to does not become miraculous. Whenever there is a lack of releasing to God, there will always be a lack of dominion. That is the truth about life. But you see, giving to God, when you release things to God, it's not just an act of surrender. You know what it is? It's an act of aggression towards the enemy. In other words here, when the enemy is ruling in your life, sometimes the enemy assaults and begins to attack in your finances, in your marriage, your children, your church, your fruitfulness or whatever. God says you can throw something down that will release dominion. Giving has a powerful dimension of dominion to it. It is an act, I like it, in, in American slang, we talk about people who are going to fight, they're going to throw down. I like that, that fits with this scripture. Because that is what you can do, uh, is you can throw down on the enemy. There is something about, listen, I have written checks sometimes with gritted teeth. Uh, I am doing that, you stinking devil, you're going to pay. God used this, you see what the enemy, and God is able to release dominion. The second issue in this scripture, when you release, is it brings favor with people. Chapter 4, verse 5 says, that they may believe that the Lord has appeared to you. Here's the problem, is that there are men who try to do the work of God, and they have no ability to make people believe there are men who complain, the people of my city, they just won't let go. They won't surrender. They don't want to do the will of God. Sometimes that is spoke, spoken by men who also are gripping everything they have for grim death. And they say, I can't understand why these people won't let go. But you see, God says to Moses... They will listen to a man who has let go. If you have no ability to cause people to believe in you, to believe in your God and the cause that you represent, sometimes this is linked back to an unwillingness. We will not let go of resources or men or our own plans, or our own ministry. And God says, Moses, throw it down. And when you do that, I can do a miracle. A man, his brother at a stick, are more than a match for everything that Egypt can bring. And this man fulfills the will of God. 
He leads out an entire nation. This is the call that we could impact. Not a program, but we could impact nations. This is our call tonight. 1839, John Williams and James Harris from the London Missionary Society, they landed on the the island of Aramanga, the New Hebrides Islands. Within minutes of landing, both of these missionaries were killed and eaten by cannibals. The London Missionary Society sent another team to the island of Tana in 1842, and within seven months... These missionaries were driven off the island. They had to leave and flee for their lives. 1848, John and Charlotte Getty left Canada to go to the New Hebrides. They landed on the island of Antitum. They labored for three years without a single convert. But in 1851, three of the chiefs of the island were powerfully converted. And from that moment, the churches began to be filled to overflowing. John Geddes always insisted every convert from the moment they get saved that they are responsible to tell others. And not only were the churches on Antitum filled, but they began to send missionaries to other neighboring islands in the New Hebrides. John Getty died in 1872, they placed a plaque in his memory and it said these words, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he died in 1872, there were no heathen. This is a man who threw down what he had and changed the course. Oh, there are people here You have such small plans, such small dream, and you're clinging so tightly to something that is so small. And God would speak to you and say, can you hear the cry? Can you hear the cry of another nation? Could it be that there are people from this great body that tonight God could lay hold on your heart and someday words be spoken that they came and they altered the course of a nation. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes all across this place. Thank God. With every head bowed. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.